Well, you may have uh, known by now that Chuck is not here, but rest easy, I am not preaching. (laughs) I rest easy because I am not preaching. (laughs) Uh, Chuck is home with a sinus infection, and he sent me a couple of texts yesterday telling me (laughs) that he wouldn't be here and asking me to introduce Josh. Josh needs no introduction, but I'm going to honor Chuck's request and introduce Josh anyway. Actually, Chuck sent me a series of texts. Each one made me think more and more. (laughs) Each text made me think more and more of of what medication Chuck must be on. They got a little bit crazy. And Josh, I'm sorry, but you're going to be a part of this. So. <laughs> I'll just read what he says. So, Josh, uh, can you introduce Josh, Todd, when you're done? Say something like, Pastor Chuck is sick. So, Pastor Chuck is sick. But the good news is that we have another Wilson preaching. Ha, 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 Joshua. So, I'm saying, sure, I'll do that. But then these are where the other texts come. So, Chuck says to tell you he has lots of options in the family, as you know. We have uh, Josh and Nate and and uh, uh, Matt and uh, Mikey too. But uh, he said Chuck said that they wrestled they wrestled it out for who was going to have the opportunity to preach today. I don't know if it was the winner or the loser that got to preach, but I think it was the winner because Chuck says Josh was an excellent wrestler, but he was an even better weightlifter. And this is what Chuck says. He actually set a world record. <laughs> okay, so that didn't happen. <laughs> but he did want me to ask, so what do you bench press? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> All right, and Chuck wants you to know that it is not COVID. He was paranoid that he might have it or that you might think he had it, but he was tested for that. It is a sinus infection. He is home resting, and we are very glad to have Josh. Come on up, Josh, as our preacher today. All right, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm Josh. Uh, my dad never fails to embarrass me, but that's okay. I'll probably embarrass him in this sermon somehow. I'll figure it out. Um, I'll come up with something. Uh, yeah, so my dad told me that I'm preaching today. Uh, and I think it was like Friday. He warned me. He's like, I got, I'm sick. You know, maybe you have like a 50-50 shot of, of preaching on Sunday. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then on Saturday, he informed me that I definitely am preaching. And, um, you know, it's a little short notice for preparing a sermon. Thankfully, I am preaching today at my church, so I had something prepared. Um, but it's not what I wanted to preach when I came here. I, I was supposed to preach on the 28th or whatever it is of January. So I was going to preach on a different passage for you guys. But uh, short notice, so you're getting what you get. You know, sorry about that. But, um, yeah, so my dad, he called me up, and he's like, all right, I guess you got to do it. Um, so here I am. Um, I'm doing it. Yeah, we did have to wrestle it out, I guess, and I definitely would beat all my brothers in wrestling. It's guaranteed. Um, sorry, Matthew. Sorry, Michael. I definitely would beat you. Um, all right. So today we're actually only going to be going through two verses. Um, now, don't get like too alarmed. We're going to be. I'm going to have to give you guys some background before we get into what I'm going to be going into because the verse we're going to be starting with is Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. And the reason why I have to give you background is because the verse starts with the word therefore. 
okay? So we can't even understand what he's talking about without going back just a little bit. Now, I've been preaching through Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 11 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's actually why I picked the book of Hebrews to preach through. Um, It's just a very encouraging book about winning, Christ winning on our behalf, Christ uh, dying for our sins, Christ being our great mediator, our intercessor between us and God, um, Christ being greater than the prophets, Christ being greater than, than the sacrifices, Christ being greater than the tabernacle, etc., etc. It's just, he is just better and greater in every possible way. So that's what Hebrews chapter, uh, well, Hebrews the entire thing is about, but Hebrews chapter 11 has a really encouraging Message. So I just want to give you a summary of what I preached on last week at my church so that you can kind of get an idea of what we're going to be going through. Sorry, Emily, I didn't give you these verses, but if you got a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, go to Hebrews, and we'll just start at verse 32 and read to the end of the chapter so that you can kind of get a feel for um, what Hebrews 11 is all about. Okay, so um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, through, uh, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now, to summarize what I preached on last, uh, uh, last week, Hebrews 11 is what's known as the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. It's a, it's a bunch of stories from the Old Testament, uh, starting off like back with Noah, Cain and Abel, all the way through um, until, ba- until he basically runs out of space and says, all right, I'm just going to summarize the rest of the Old Testament for you. So it's called the, the Hall of Faith because it shows um, all of the people who ran the race prior to us. It's the Hall of Faith, right? So all the people who lived by their faith all the way until the end, um, this is what is going to be remembered about them here in Hebrews 11. Now, there's a key detail of every single person's story missing in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Um, and if you read it, they tell stories of Abraham and Sarah, of Noah, of Samson, Jephthah, right? It goes through all these people, and there's a key detail missing in every single story. And if you've read Hebrews 11, maybe you've picked up on it. Um, but the key detail is that their sins are all forgotten. None of their sins are mentioned, not a single one. In fact, it, it talks about Abraham and Sarah when God makes the promise of, of the chosen child, right? The, the child of promise being given to them. Um, what's like the first reaction when the angel tells uh, Abraham that he's going to bear a child? What does Abraham react with? He's like, yeah, right, dude. Yeah, no way. Uh, and then when Sarah hears the news, what's her first reaction? She laughs. Yeah, she laughs. She's like, yeah, right. I'm like 90, whatever. Or I think she was 80 at the time. But either, either way, crazy, right? She, she laughs, right? And then she lies about laughing, right? But none of that is remembered in, the, in Hebrews 11. All that's remembered is that she 
believed God's promise. She, she counted him as faithful, the one who made the promise. And that's weird, right? Because if you read the story, that's really not what you see in the story. But I guess eventually she does come to faith. And, and, and it even forgets how they, they made the mistake of, of going through Hagar and, and thinking that that would be the way the child of promise. So there's all of these things that are forgotten in the story. And then, I mean, if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty of it, it's starting in verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Samson? Does anyone know the story of Samson? Is there any, like, redeeming qualities about Samson and the Samson story? No. No, there's not. Samson, every single part of the story, Samson is messing up. He's doing things he's not supposed to be doing. My dad used to say, I'm just like Samson. Um, And (laughs) not a compliment, right? If you know anything about Samson, that's that's not a compliment. Some people would be like, yeah, just like Samson, big and strong. But no, that's not what he meant, right? So, um, all of this is to say... And it's all summarized, honestly, in Psalm 103. I think Psalm 103 really, really hits the, the nail on the head. God forgets our sins. And Psalm 103 says that he takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Right? He takes our sins and he forgets about them. If you live by faith, all of the mistakes are forgotten. And only the good, the faith that you had is remembered. And this is the essence of Hebrews chapter 11. All of these people, they ran their race, right? It's like a marathon, right? Your life is a marathon. It's going to be really long, really uh, endurance uh, requiring. You're going to need to do a lot of things. And a lot of the way, you're going to trip, you're going to fall short, you're going to make mistakes. And God knows that because Psalm 103 also says that he knows that we are dust and he remembers our frame. So he knows that we are weak. And he bears with us in our weakness and carries us through the race. And that's kind of going to be what the theme of the sermon is today. Thank you for the, the worship song, Not I, But Christ in Me. That's really what we're going to be going over today. We can't run the race alone. If you think you can run the race alone, God will make sure you know you can't. He will make sure of it. I'm sure a lot of people in here have gone through a lot of things that they just feel like, man, I cannot get through this. I cannot get through this alone. If you are walking by faith, that will happen in your life. It just absolutely will. And we're going to see that today in these first two verses of Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Now, uh, I'm just going to read it real quick, and then I'll I'll set up the preface. But before we do that, let's just pray. Um, Sorry for the super abbreviated sermon. It took me 50 minutes to preach that sermon last week, but you guys got it in like, what is it, five, ten minutes? All right. So let's pray, and we'll get into this uh, passage today. All right. Uh, Dear God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We do, of course, thank you that you forgive us of our sins, that uh, we have a great uh, intercessor for us um, who is guarding us from ourselves, uh, who is cleansing us of our sins, who is our lawyer, the one who stands before you, Lord, and, and makes a case for us so that we can approach the throne of God with confidence, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and forgotten about, that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, and his righteousness is imputed to us so that our sins are forgiven and forgotten, Lord. Um, we pray as we get into this passage today that we can just cling to what you tell us, cling to your promises, and just impress them on our hearts so that we may never forget them, that we can live by mercy and grace, um, not doing it on our own strength, but doing it on your strength. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's read these two verses, um, and we'll, we'll get to it. 
All right, so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's wonderful. I love it, right? I love the imagery, right? The the great cloud of witnesses. When I hear that, I immediately think of like a coliseum. You're in a coliseum. You have all these witnesses around. You are running your race, Olympics, whatever you want to say. You're, You're running your race, and you have this great cloud of witnesses. Now, I always think of it like they're watching us, but honestly, when you see the witness word in here, there's actually, um, they're, they're not witnessing our race. They are, but they're not. That's not what this is really saying. They are witnesses for us to look at. They witness what it is like to run the race by faith, and we're supposed to look at their example. Maybe it's a both ways. Maybe they're watching us too, but we're watching them. We can see their witness their faith that they used to run their race, just like you just talked about here in the, in the Hall of Faith here. And we use their example as our, our fuel, our joy. We see their joy. We see all the hardships that they went through. And we can look at that and be like, they got through it because of faith. We get through it because of faith. They got through it because of the joy that was set before them. We get through it because of the joy that was set before us. So that's really the imagery. Now, if you think about life, like I said earlier, life is a marathon. It's very long. It's the longest race you're ever going to live, uh, run. And we, I don't like marathons, honestly. I, I don't really like running at all. So I'm actually going to change the marathon to an experience that Tatiana and I had when we first got married. Okay. Um, for some of you, some of you know this, but me and Tatiana, after we got married, we got on the Appalachian Trail and we started walking. Okay. So I, if you, you want to watch it, Tatiana videoed most of it. Um, <laughs> If you want to link to that, you can watch it. It's really funny. Um, there's a lot of crazy things that happened to us on the trail, and it was a really long trail. If you, if you don't know, the Appalachian Trail is about 2,000 miles. We didn't go all 2,000 miles. Tatiana got pregnant on the trail. <laughs> so, <laughs> before the trail. Sorry, she got pregnant before the trail. So, uh, so I mean, yeah, we're not walking 2,000 miles with, with Tatiana being pregnant. Okay, so that happened. Um, and basically... We're going to change this endurance run to the Appalachian Trail because that's a long trail to be walking, okay? So as we're going through, I'm going to read this passage one more time and just think about it. Instead of a race, you're walking on the Appalachian Trail, okay? So I got tons of stories about it. I'll tell you some maybe today. All right, so let's just read it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the Appalachian Trail that is set before us. Okay. So let's start with this. Let us also lay aside every weight. Um, One of the crucial things you need to do before you start walking on the Appalachian Trail is you have to figure out what you're going to bring and your pack. There are people that we saw on the trail on, like, day one who had, like, 80-pound packs. And if you think that you're going to walk 2,000 miles with 80 pounds in your back, 
you're losing your mind. You're losing it, right? We, the first guy we ran into, he had canned food in his bag, lots of canned food in his bag, so much so that after the first day, we caught up with him. After the first day, we got to camp all together. He's like, can you guys help me eat some of my food? Because I'm not doing this, right? Canned food is heavy. It's heavy. And he had like 80-pound pack. And this other guy, I think Tatiana would know, his name's like Genoa, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, Genoa. Genoa, I am jealous of Genoa because... Genoa had armor on. He had leather armor on, and he had like an uh, almost a hundred pound pack at least, right? It was crazy. And he also had a sword. G- Genoa is walking the Appalachian Trail with armor and a sword. Okay. Now, um, <laughs> having a sword isn't exactly going to help you walk the trail, right? Is there something? Is there anything wrong with having a sword with you while, you, while you're hiking? No, right? I mean, it's, it's cool. It's maybe a little weird, but it's, it's cool, right? You have a sword, right? There's nothing wrong with having a sword. There's nothing wrong with having armor on, but is it going to help you walk the trail? No, it's not. You're not, what? Mentally, yeah. I mean, you feel pretty, like, bold. I got a sword and walking around in the, in the woods, right? It's really cool. Maybe a bear. You can help you against a bear. Uh, we didn't see any bears. It's unfortunate. Um, but anyway, the, the idea that I'm getting at is he says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. If you're running a race, if you're walking on the Appalachian Trail, you need to pick things that are essential and not essential. When you're packing your pack, you got to know that every single pound you add, that's just one more, one more pound you're taking every step. And that adds up so quickly. You realize how much little things weigh. We would get to stops and we'd be like, do I really need to bring like five napkins? Do I Because really? it just adds up, right? These little things, that they look like they don't weigh anything, they add up and they start to weigh a lot. So the idea here, when you hear what he's saying, let us lay aside every weight It's not necessarily bad things that you need to lay aside in your life. As you're running your race, as you're walking by faith, you may have a lot of things that are useful and good, like a sword. You might have something uh, in your pack that would actually be very helpful for you on on your trail, on your trail walk, right? But it's not essential. It's helpful, it's good, but it's not essential. And these are things that will slow you down in your walk of faith. So if you, uh, just to give you a real life example, maybe, maybe you really like watching sports. Maybe this is your thing. You just love sports and you spend hours and hours and hours watching sports. There's not anything really wrong about watching sports, right? Is it a sin to watch sports? No. Is it, is it wrong to watch sports? No, no, I'm just kidding. It's no, it's no, it's not. But if you watch, <laughs> I don't like watching sports. Um, it's, it can become a sin if it becomes an idol in your life, but it's not necessarily a sin, right? But if you spend too much time on it and you start to mm, put that ahead of other things that you ought to be doing in your walk of faith, if it distracts you so much from doing things you know you should be doing, it's going to slow you down. It's just one more weight in the burden that you're carrying with you, and it will slow you down. It will slow you down. I have had lots of these types of things in my life, lots of them. I used to love playing video games. Now I have kids. You can't play anything anymore. Um, you, you really lose a lot of your time, right? So you have to cast off all of these things that are not necessarily bad but things that might not be helping you along the way. So take the sword. I know it's cool. 
put it in put it in your case and just leave it there and keep walking right um the some of the stuff that you find you know, when you're hiking they have these things that are called like uh hiker boxes right tatiana where people would abandon things that they had with them some of the stuff you find in these boxes you find like a hair dryer like, what are you gonna use it with uh, you're on the trail man what do you got a hair dryer for right so you start to find these crazy things in these hiker boxes you're like who thought about bringing that thing? Like, it's not like a hairdryer is evil or bad, but you don't even have outlets out in the woods, right? Okay, so we're all, we're all there, right? We all understand. So things that might not be bad but are not helpful, they're just weighing you down and slowing you down. But then we get to the next thing. And the sin which clings so closely. I actually really like the New King James Version of this. It says, the sin that so easily ensnares us ensnares us or the niv says so easily entangles us i really like the imagery of a snare for sin i really like it has anyone ever used a snare to catch an animal do they know do you guys know how snares work raise your hand if you do if you don't know okay so some of you okay so i'll explain it a snare is just a string or wire and what a snare is is usually it's like a loop it's a loop with a very, and it's tied to something. It's a loop, and it's, and it's just got a very loose knot that le- allows the snare to move and the, the, the circle that it is to tighten or loosen, right? That's what a snare is. And there's di- a bunch of different kinds of snares, but that's basically what a snare is. And what a snare is used for is what you'll usually do is you'll put it on a path where animals walk, or maybe you'll lay some bait where it is. And what the animal will do is, you know, they'll come up to the, to the bait or walking on their usual path, and the snare, it's, it's almost invisible to them. They don't even see it, right? And they step into the snare. And what usually happens is the snare come, and it goes around their neck or it goes around their body or their foot. And what happens is, is they don't even really notice at first, but it, it's getting a little tighter because it's on them, and the, the, the knot is loose. And as, as they move into the snare, then they, they should start to realize, whoa, what is this around my neck? And they start to panic. They start to fight. And they start to thrash around in the, in, the, in the snare. And what they don't understand is, is that that is the worst thing that you can do, is fight the snare. Because as you are pulling on that snare, it is tightening around their neck. And it will kill them. It will slowly suffocate them and keep tightening and tightening and tightening until they are completely dead through the snare. And this, I think, is the most perfect analogy for sin. Sin, sometimes it's like invisible. You don't even see it. You don't even see it. You you could be walking on your path and there's a snare set before you and you don't even know it. Or maybe off the trail there's a little bit of bait over there. Ooh, hmm, I could really go for that cheeseburger that's over there, right? You you see this food because you just like, you see it and you're enticed, right? We're we're drawn away by our own evil desires and enticed. Nothing wrong with cheeseburgers, but you you see the bait off the trail and you just, hmm, maybe I could just take one step off. The trail. I'm going to go this way. And then you, you get the bait, and then you realize, wait a minute, what's this around my neck? I'm being ensnared. And, you don't, and you're like, I, I'll just fight it really hard. I'll just fight my sin really hard, and I'll get out of this. I'll do it. And you start to rip and pull, and you're trying to get out of it, and you don't even realize that you're tightening the snare around your neck because what you're doing is you're trying to fight the sin with your own power. With your own power. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin. Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave. You cannot beat sin by yourself. You can't do it. The best way to get out of a snare 
is to let someone else get you out of the snare. They can get the snare. They can pull it loose, loosen that knot so that you can get out of it. If an animal, when they stepped into the snare, all they would have to do is just sit very still, don't move, and then maybe some other animal can chew it off or something, whatever, you know, weird example, but you know what I'm getting at. Just let someone else do it. Now, we as Christians, as we are walking our walk of faith, and we get caught in snares because we will, we're, we're humans, we, we have faults, we, we sin, we get stuck in sin, the, the sin gets so tight around us that it becomes an addiction and we can't get away from it, and, and all we have to do to get out of the snare before it kills us is ask God to get us out of the snare. Just ask God, God, I messed up, I got off the path. I walked into a snare. I did. I messed up. God, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Because I can't do it. It's not, it's not me. I'm weak. I am dust. Psalm 103. I am dust. He knows our frame. He knows we're weak. Hebrews says that, that he, he became human in every way just like us so that he could empathize with our weaknesses. He knows we're weak. He knows. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. So he's, he's able to deal gently with us when we do make mistakes. Th- this is what Jesus came to do. He came to empathize with us, to save us from all the snares, all the things that we're going to fall into. How many times have you gotten stuck in some sin and you just tried to really white-knuckle your way out of it? I'm, I'm so disciplined. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of it. And you just end up getting in tighter and tighter. The longer you wait to ask God to take the sin away, the harder it will be to get out. All you have to do is nothing. To get out of a snare, you do nothing. You just sit there and you wait for God to come along and to take the snare off. That's it. The more you struggle, the more you fight, the faster you'll die. Do not do that. Sin entangles. Sin ensnares us. Ask God to take it away. If you notice, the weight just slows you down, but the snare stops you completely, and you will die in that sin. You need to ask Christ to take the sin uh, away from you. Now, there's this terrible, terrible quote that I see float around all the time, and I wish that it would go away completely. They're misusing a Bible verse, okay? This, this is something along the lines of how you'll see this go. They, they, they will say, God will never let you go through something you can't handle. Have you ever heard that? God will never let you go through something you can't handle. I've seen it a million times, and every time I see it, I want to just smash my phone. Right? No, that's ridiculous. We all go through things we can't handle, we all go through sin that we can't get out of. We all do that. And if you read the quote, right, if you read the quote, God will never let you go through something you can't handle. It's basically saying you have all the power in the world to get out of any problem you ever get in. It's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite, right? When you read the stories in Hebrews chapter 11 about all the people who tried to get out of their mess through their own power, what happens to them? It gets worse. It gets way worse, and it isn't until they're like, okay, fine, I can't do it. God, you do it. Then it gets better, right? It's always that way. You can't do it. You're weak. You're dust. We're all pathetic. I'm pathetic. You're pathetic. We're all pathetic, right? That's just how it is. We can't do it. We're children, right? The Bible describes us as children, as sheep. Have you ever seen a sheep before? They're really, really stupid, right? You... (laughs) 
I always tell the story because I see it. I see the video every now and again. There's the sheep that's caught and like um. <laughs> There's this sheep that's like caught in like a fence, right? It's caught in a fence at like the top of a hill, right? And the, the guy, he's like freeing it. It's like a really happy, like, oh, he's freeing the sheep from the, the snare that it's in. And he frees the sheep from the snare. And then right as he lets it go, it just tumbles down the mountain. And, and you're just like, what the heck is happening? Or this other one where the sheep is stuck in a ditch. And this guy is like saving the sheep. And it's so heartwarming and stuff he pulls the sheep out of the ditch and it starts to buck around again it falls right back in the ditch and you're just like <laughs> you're just like that because that's what we are like just like when my dad called me samson that's not a compliment we're called sheep and that's definitely not a compliment right so we are not going to be able to get through this race that we're on on our own we can't get through it on our own so how do we run our race. How do we do it? Let's get into it. Uh, starting, it was continuing in verse one. Uh, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter. Our job is not to look at ourselves. Our job is not to look at other people. Our job is to look at Christ. And he is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Because we're on a journey of faith, right? The, the marathon is, is through faith, right? This is the, the thing that we're going on. But we are looking at Christ, the one who paved the way for us. He's the one who, who set the path before us, and we're looking at him. He's at the, end of the, at the end of the journey, right? We're looking at the end. The second you start taking your eyes off of the end, you will start to drift from left to right into snares and you will start to pick up more weights in your pack that you don't need you need to keep your eyes fixed on christ the author and perfecter of our faith when you th- when you hear author and perfecter of our faith what does that sound like the beginning of the faith is the author and the perfecter that sounds like the end too doesn't it so from first to last it is faith right You might remember that from Romans. My dad's going through that right now, right? Uh, From first to last. The gospel is by faith from first to last. I struggle with this all the time. We start our journey of faith by faith, right? We start our marathon by faith. And then we start to think, okay, I'm coasting now. I, I think I can start doing this on my own power now. Thanks, Jesus, for getting me going. I'll just, uh, keep going on my own now. I don't need to hold your hand anymore. You don't need to, you know, baby me anymore. I can handle it, right? I'm strong now. I've, I've overcome that sin. I don't need to worry about it anymore. I don't need you anymore. You start to do it by your own power, and this is when things go bad. So if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter uh, 3. Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, I believe. O foolish Galatians, not a good way to start. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Salvation. Did you receive salvation by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit of faith? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you can see what he's saying here, he's saying you guys believed, received the spirit by faith. Now you're trying to perfect your faith by works of the law. It's not how it works. Faith from first to last. You cannot be perfected by works of the law. And works of the law would be you just trying your best. It would be you trying to do good things on your own. This is not how it works. We are perfected by Christ. We are, our faith is given to us by Christ. It is perfected by Christ. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, we talk about how we're on this journey of faith. And that's great. But if you just read um, the end of Hebrews chapter 11, you see that there's a lot of victories in a walk of faith. But there's also lots and lots of trials and pain and suffering that happens on a walk of faith. And these things are given to us. This comes later in Hebrews chapter 12. These are given to us. These trials are given to us by God to perfect us. Because we need trials in our lives in order to strengthen us in future things that we'll be going through, right? If you are never tested in your faith, you will never get stronger in your faith. And I always compare faith to weightlifting because I like weightlifting, right? Um, I compare it to weightlifting because... I see people who go to the gym their whole lives and they never get stronger. Never. Because why? Well, because they aren't pushing themselves. They're not going through anything difficult. They just go in and they pick up the same weights that they picked up for the past five years and they never push it. It's always the same. They never get stronger because they're just doing the bare minimum. They go in and they're like, oh, as long as I move some weight around, it'll work. That's not how it works. The only way to get stronger is to Push yourself. Progressive overload. Lift weights that are really difficult to lift. That's the only way you can actually get stronger. And this is why on our walk of faith, we are being perfected, sanctified slowly, slowly through things that we can't handle and we are required to put our faith in Christ for. And by putting our faith in Christ a little bit at a time, more and more, our faith starts to grow and get stronger. And we start to realize that it's like, wow, I really am really weak, but Christ is really strong and I should just keep trusting in him for everything. Right. That is the idea behind what is going on here. When you read the stories here of of of. Uh, Let's see, let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This doesn't sound very good. Right. This sounds like trials. This sounds like persecutions. And a little piece of context for Hebrews that I didn't give you earlier is that 
he's writing to Christians who are suffering persecution and they're being tempted to go back to the, the works of the law to be saved. They're being tempted to reject Christ's sacrifice for their sins and go, go back to the old way. Go back to the old sacrifices. Go back to the works of the law for their salvation. And, and the writer of Hebrews is making it abundantly clear that you can't do that. It's not going to work. You will die in your sin if you go back. He makes it abundantly clear. So what we are called to do here is look at their example of those who suffered before us and use their example to fuel us. And all of it is for, um, continuing in verse 2 of uh, chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you read that, What's like the first thought that comes to your mind? When I read that part, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My first thought, I don't know why, is always Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Always. Because when you see the pain and the suffering and the struggle that he was going through prior to him going to the cross, he was really not having a good time. And when he was struggling the most, he turns to God. And God sends an angel to him. And it says that the angel ministers to him. Ministers to him. Now, this is not in the Bible. I'll tell you that. It's not in the Bible. But there is a tradition that says that the angel encouraged Christ by showing him all of the great works and all of those who would be saved through his sacrifice on the cross. That was the joy that was set before him. That was the joy. He saw all of the great things that would come through his sacrifice, even though it is horrible, right? He's scorning the shame of the cross. He knows it's going to be terrible. He's sweating blood. He's struggling. He's in pain. And, and he's going to be abandoned by all of his friends. He's going, to, he's going to be tortured immensely. And it's just going to be the worst thing you've ever seen in your whole life. And he knows it's coming. And he doesn't want to do it. But he still says, thy will be done, God. I'll do it for the joy that is set before me. For the joy that is set before me. I, I see all those who will run the race after me and I'm going with, I'm going with that option. I see all of the good that will come after what I do here. Setting an example of suffering and pain for the joy that is set before me. They will follow after me in that way. And that is what motivated him to go to the cross. For you, for me, for all of us. He's going to the cross for you. So that you can have joy like he has joy. Everlasting life. So so that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. You, 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 dust. Me, dust. We're all dust. And he's interceding for us, knowing our weaknesses, knowing that we're going to get stuck in a million snares along the way. He's going to be right there with us. He's going to forget those sins. And he's going to, he's going to forgive you through his sacrifice on the cross. We are going to face suffering and persecution in our lives. We are. My dad just preached through Acts. You know that's going to happen, right? You know that we're going to face tough times. And we get through those tough times because of the joy that is set before us. Romans 8, my dad just preached on this. Romans 8, 
Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The sufferings that we face in this life because of our faith are not worth comparing to the glory. And who's writing that? Paul. Paul is writing that. Paul, who got whipped and beaten and stoned and almost killed and, and all these horrible things in prison for like his entire ministry, it feels like, right? He's like, there's nothing. I've got the joy that is set before me. I'm going that way. I'm not turning back to the old way. Paul could have at any moment just been like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You guys can let me out of prison. He could have at any moment. He could have gone back. He could have shrunk back, but he didn't. He pressed forward through his faith in Christ. You are going to have a lot of difficulties in your life, especially if you are a believer. You will, you will suffer persecutions. You will suffer uh, through just life in general. It's just how life is. Life is full of pain and suffering. I don't even need to tell you guys. I was here for the testimony service. I was here. I heard what you guys said. You guys know what suffering is like. You know. But you push through because of the joy that is set before you. You see what Christ suffered. You follow his example. You see what the, the people in Hebrews 11 suffered. You see their example. We follow them. They, they ran the, the race before us. We're just catching up. And I really like what it says here at the end of 39 of, of chapter 11. And all these, in, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't see the good things in their life. We do. We see Christ. They should not, they should not be made perfect without us. That is why Christ is long-suffering with this world. That's why with all the pain and the suffering in this world that we see, that it is Christ who is waiting patiently, not willing that any should perish, waiting for others to come to salvation so that we could be perfected with him and with them. I love Hebrews. That's so good. Maybe you're here and you haven't even started your, your race yet. Maybe you don't have faith. Maybe you're still trying to make it in this world in the darkness and you're walking into traps, you're walking into snares, you're getting distracted, you have so much weight on your back that you just can barely move. You're only going like two miles a day like Genoa with his sword and his arm. You're just distracted by everything. He just seems to always get off the trail for any reason. You might be like that. And I'm here to tell you, it's not, even, though, even though I just got done telling you that you will suffer in your marathon of faith, at least you will have joy at the end. Amen. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to start your marathon. You need to start. Get on the trail. Keep going. Stay on the path. Don't stray to the left or just to the right. Just go. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He'll get you through it. You may think through your pride that you can get through anything. That God would never let you go through something you can't handle. It's ridiculous. We are called to have faith like children. When, me, when, when I take Enoch out into the woods, 
especially when he was younger, I would take him to all like the, the cliffs and stuff in Tyler State, to the dam and stuff. And I remember one time we were at the dam, and Enoch is terrified of walking next to cliffs, which is great. I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy he's terrified of that, because Wolfgang is not. <laughs> Wolfgang will crawl right off a cliff, and he won't even think about it. Oh, my goodness. Give me a terif- terrifying heart attacks every time he moves. All right, so Enoch is terrified of cliffs. But when I'm there with him, he'll just, go, he'll just put up his hand like this, right? And he's just waiting for me to grab his hand. And the second I grab his hand, he feels invincible. He's like, all of a sudden, like if this, the edge of the rug is the cliff, uh, he'll be standing way back here. He'll go like this. I'll grab his hand, and he just starts walking forward like he's going to go off the cliff. And, right, and he's, he's standing there. I'm like pulling him back. He's going like this off the side. I'm like, what are you doing? But it's because he has faith in me that I'm not going to drop him, right? He's got faith. He's like, yeah, dad's not going to drop me. He's never dropped me before, right? That, that, that's what we're called to be like. Have faith. Trust in Christ. Right? It's so simple in theory. It's simple in theory. But that's why I said the more, the more struggle, the more pain that you go through, and the more Christ gets you out of it, the more you'll trust him. Because you'll realize that he's never dropped me before, and he's not going to drop me now. Put your faith in Christ. That's it. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven that protects us from from all of our weaknesses, protects us from all of the, the snares that we get ourselves into. And you love us despite of it. You know our frame. You know that we are dust. But you still take our sins and you cast them as far as the east is from the west. And if we would just live by faith and put our trust in you, Lord, that you would forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness, Lord. And we just thank you for, for who you are, for being the good father that you are, for protecting us, but also disciplining us when we, when we fall short, Lord. You allow us to go through things so that we can trust in you more and that we can realize that we are not good enough on our own, that we can't do it on our own, and that we're forced to trust in you, Lord, that we're forced to hold your hand on our, on our walk here in the woods uh, with our heavy pack that feels so heavy, But you, Lord, you are going to get us through it. You're going to get us to the end. Just like Paul, when he says that that he has finished the race, he has fought the good fight, and now that is in store for him the crown of righteousness for all who, who also follow in his suit, Lord. We just pray that we can have faith like these, these heroes in the Bible, that even when we fall short, we still turn back to God to save us from our mess. Uh, we just thank you for all of this, Lord. We thank you for who you are. Bless us today. Bless us this week. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Go and rest in that powerful name of Jesus. Have a great day ahead and a great week ahead as well.